0: Batman. This is George Newbern, the voice of Superman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review,
1: hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app.
0: There is an alien among us. A superior being from a place called Krypton. Deep in the heart of the city, he watches for signs of danger. Ready to act on a moment's notice. His true name is Kal-El. You know him as Superman. Maybe you ladies haven't heard about me. The future of Metropolis is in the hands of the Man of Steel. Get
2: out. Superman
1: get up he's gonna be busy i said get up superman hey everybody welcome to episode 166 of the dcau review i am one of your two hosts cal and with me my good friend good brother the gentleman that runs our twitter account and just an all-around good fella. Threw a new one in there this week. It's Liam. Liam, welcome to episode 166 of the DCAU Review.
2: That's right. We are in the middle of July here, getting into the second week here. And yeah, we got another interesting episode of Superman to talk about this week. Uh, featuring a, a big monster, but also uh, the introduction of a, a different kind of monster, perhaps. Uh, with the introduction of a character that uh, plays somewhat of an important uh, background role in in both this series and uh, later on in Justice League.
1: That is right, Liam. We This week we are covering the Superman the Animated Series as we all are all month long, as you mentioned, and uh, this episode is titled The Prometheon. Uh, which, depending on which, uh, which wiki source you get your information from, could be uh, referring to a Greek god or perhaps a fourth world Jack Kirby character of the same name. Uh, but we'll get into that when we discuss some of our plot and visuals, I am sure. Uh, but uh, this episode, Liam, originally debuted on the Kids WB back on September the 12th. 1997 Liam, which means in just about two short months here uh, we will be celebrating the 25 year anniversary of this episode so uh, before we uh, get into our plot animation and visuals music and voice acting for this week i believe that uh, we have our unsponsored segment discussing the official imdb synopsis
2: That's right, and this is for the episode The Prometheon, which was written by Alan Burnett and Stan Berkowitz, directed by Nobuo Tamazawa, with music by Michael McQuistian and animation by TMS, and that synopsis reads as such. While on a space mission, Superman discovers a massive humanoid stone giant lashed to an asteroid. It breaks loose and runs
1: amok amok
2: (laughs) good good word there
1: i I, I appreciated that one they went to the thesaurus for that one for sure um it runs amok i like that uh uh, now normally a plot
2: uh, summary that vague we would say there would be work to be done but that is basically the whole episode (laughs) there's there's no b plot there's no real deeper meeting uh as we jump into our, our plot here uh, episode opens with a, a combination military Star Labs. Hey, this show, uh, I think, predicted the future. You know, everyone always likes to point out when like the Simpsons predicted something. This, uh, this episode here predicted the Space Force.
1: That's right. The military, the military involved in space missions, uh, 1997. Uh, it's September the 12th, 1997. See if there were any Simpsons uh, references before then. But if not, definitely uh, the DCAU gets the crown for that one.
2: Absolutely, but yeah, so there's this combination, Star Labs, uh, military operation to blow up this giant asteroid that's heading towards Earth. People, we are in a war. The stakes are
0: high. If we lose, that asteroid will hit Metropolis in a matter of hours. Ten million lives will be wiped out instantly, and they'll be the fortunate ones. It's up to us to destroy it as we would any other enemy, utterly and completely any questions no sir still think we need the alien
2: superman soon arrives we and this is where we get the introduction to as we alluded to uh the uh, first uh in timeline appearance of general hardcastle who's uh this character that just kind of gets brought back a few more times uh throughout this series and and then uh again in justice league unlimited later on but
1: But plays a pivotal role in
2: justice league unlimited actually Absolutely. They sort of uh, retroactively make him the, the linchpin of, uh, of how the the clone of Supergirl is brought about. And uh, as well as some of the other uh, Cadmus stuff that we've uh, we've covered in that, in that episode, fearful symmetry, which you can hear uh, back in the archives at DCAUreview.com. But uh, yeah, so we get his introduction immediately. We, we are told that he doesn't like Superman. He doesn't like the grandstanding and, and the fact that Superman is not necessarily loyal or beholden to uh, any any world government or or any country at all and is sort of a free agent as it were and how that makes him nervous and so he wants to go ahead and proceed with the mission without superman's help but of course right then right there superman in his nice spacesuit, which again as we sort of alluded to last week there's a perfect uh, kenner hasbro toy of this space suit uh one one to one perfect Perfection here, but we get to see him in the spacesuit quickly as he's sort of taking care of the asteroid. Superman discovers that not only are there asteroids, but there is this sort of giant rock monster that is trapped on one of them, which is seemingly dead or dormant. But uh, as it gets closer to the sun, it begins to awaken. There's
3: no doubt about it. The creature is slightly warmer than the asteroid. And listen to this. Heartbeats? That's my guess. There's also a transmitter within the rock. It's broadcasting some kind of binary code. I'll need some time to decipher it.
0: You'll have all the time you want. After the demolition.
3: Are you crazy? That's a living
0: thing out there. A living alien. And it would die when it hits the Earth's atmosphere anyway. In good conscience, you can't jeopardize the lives of millions. You're absolutely right, Professor.
2: Gentlemen, there may be another way. I might be able to push the asteroid into Earth's and, orbit. Uh, as as the synopsis said, it begins to run
1: amok from there. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, interestingly enough, you, we mentioned General Hardcastle there before we move past that. I will say that I think that that dialogue that he has with Emile Hamilton is a little bit of... A um, little bit of insight certainly is interesting uh, that it comes from the point of view of a hardened military man, a one who you might uh, guess what his political leanings may or may not be, and uh, his general thoughts and feelings on "quote unquote" aliens, uh, and uh, and it's maybe a, a little bit of insight into what one might think, uh, you know, if you were doing a psychological perspective or. Uh, or trying to understand somebody of that thought process and why uh, quote-unquote aliens are so scary to them and why it's such a, a difficult issue for them to, uh, to talk about. He, he talks about not only uh, not being able to trust him, but also not being able to control and what he can't control, he can't trust. Just get the job
0: done, hero. And no showboating. What do you have against him, Hardcastle? He's an alien. He has no allegiance, no jurisdiction. I don't trust what I can't control, Hamilton. And I don't like what I can't trust. Emil,
1: you'd better get over here. Uh, so uh, very, very interesting. Maybe some some slight uh, underhanded commentary from, <laughs> from the writers there. Uh, maybe not so subtle uh, commentary there, but uh, very interesting. But as you mentioned, yes. Uh, so uh, as they discover that this being trapped on the asteroid is uh, is indeed alive. Uh, uh, Emil Hamilton asks at this point for them to perhaps or, or sort of uh, appeals to General Hardcastle to give them some more time instead of just blowing this asteroid up. And uh, with the the kindness of any supervillain, uh, General Hardcastle says "No, nah, we're just going to blow it up. So uh, Superman uh, and Emil Hamilton decide they're going to move it into the Earth's uh, into the Earth's orbit for a period of time, and unfortunately, as they do, it uh, it creates enough heat. It seems to awaken the beast. Uh, this allows the beast to sort of break away from the asteroid, and he begins falling to Earth. And wouldn't you know it? Just their luck, headed directly towards, of all places, Metropolis. Uh, so Superman decides he's going to try and redirect uh the falling creature towards the ocean as he puts it uh which ocean we're not sure but an ocean so uh he does his best to do that and and uh, as the beast drops towards the ocean uh wouldn't you know it there's a nice family out on a cruise ship or their own uh giant yacht out for a nice uh, afternoon trip and uh as the beast lands into the water, it creates a giant tidal wave that Superman has to sort of save this yacht uh, from being capsized in. Uh, from there, uh, he sort of loses the beast, and, uh, and uh, we learn, learn from there that uh, the, the beast is uh, somewhere in the ocean and uh, begins coming into contact with a, a sub, uh, perhaps a nuclear sub, and uh, begins uh, attacking said sub uh, and Superman, who thankfully is patrolling the ocean in his deep dive Superman costume. Uh, the second back-to-back episode appearances. We didn't even plan it that way, Liam, but uh, <laughs> yet another appearance from the, uh, the deep dive Superman fig- uh, action figure. I-, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, costume uh, that he mm-hmm. definitely needs in order to, to communicate with people underwater. Uh, and uh, he quickly realizes that this sub has come under attack and Superman to the rescue.
2: Yeah, that's a, and, and that's sort of a lot of the episode and, and we'll certainly talk more maybe in detail about a lot of these scenes in, in visuals, because it's a very visual episode. There isn't a lot of dialogue. And as we sort of talked about the plot itself is pretty simplistic. It's kind of just a series of uh, little vignettes of Superman uh trying to head off this monster and sort of doing damage control and kind of having to do some problem solving of how to uh stop the havoc that the uh, the monster is wreaking you mentioned him having to kind of like push the the yacht out of the way of this giant tidal wave and and uh and then and some of the other things he has to do throughout the episode it's, it's a lot of that and then and then sort of interspersed throughout the rest of it is uh we, we as we met we get a little bit of uh uh, exposition from uh, the exposition machine himself uh, professor hamilton your favorite as he, as he tells uh, tells superman that there was actually some code that they were able to intercept uh, from from the the monster and we find out it's not actually a a uh, a living breathing creature which maybe explains why it could be walking on the the bottom of the sea for so long with no issues but it's actually a a very sophisticated android that was sort of built to be uh to, uh, to do, like, giant ma- manual labor. It's, they get a little bit of a flashback of it moving mountains, literally. The code was simpler than it seemed. They wanted others to translate it. They?
3: The aliens who created that thing. It's a synthetic being. It was built for strength and given only minimal intelligence. They wanted to use it for heavy labor. Obviously, something went wrong. Very... Its fuel was supposed to be the heat from their suns, but that was hardly enough for the creature. Soon it began to absorb heat from everything, and the more it absorbed, the stronger it got. No wonder it didn't burn up when it fell through the atmosphere. The heat just made it stronger.
0: Exactly. So how do we stop it?
3: You know those cold packs and first aid kits? They work
2: on the principle of mixing two chemicals that create instant cold. And uh, and then we, we sort of discover that... That uh, it it absorb it gets its power uh, on heat, uh, which we had kind of already figured out by this point in the episode, but they sort of expressly say it here. And that basically it just couldn't uh, it couldn't get enough heat from the, the the sun on the planet it was on, and so it began to just wreak havoc as it uh, as it looked for more and more warmth. And they established that it doesn't really have much consciousness. Um, so you're not, I don't, I don't necessarily know that you're supposed to feel sorry for it at all. It's just kind of this, it is more like a force of nature in the way that maybe a, uh, and you, you mentioned this Cal, maybe in the same way that like a Godzilla movie or something, at least some of the earlier ones, it's less of a, of a thinking creature and more of it. It's just this force of nature and it's doing what it does. And it's, you know, sort of unstoppable by normal human means of stopping something like that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like beat for beat, this plot is very similar to a classic monster movie. You have uh, humans, and in this case, Superman, who is maybe perhaps the most human of all superheroes, ironically, but you have Superman along with the, the humans in space accidentally stumbling upon this creature, accidentally then unleashing it uh, on, a, on a mass populace of human beings, Uh, stumbling then upon uh, it begins to wreak havoc and they're sort of at a loss on how they're going to stop it. Uh, suddenly, there's this sort of uh, this, this master key that unlocks everything and how they're going to figuring out. Somebody comes up with the brilliant plan and using sort of observation of how the creature is acting to the one Achilles heel, per se, and where the creature is drawing its strength from. Uh, we then, of course, have the, the United States military acting in complete opposite uh, <laughs> behavior towards the creature uh, Despite what the science is pointing out and saying it should do, it acts in complete uh, in complete opposition to it and doesn't listen, thus creating an even bigger monster and feeding the monster as we do actually in this episode, because as Professor Hamilton uh, has, has discovered this clue, he divulges the information to Superman, who then uh, meets up with General Hardcastle and the United States military, who are just absolutely bombing this thing with everything that they have and the creature is literally just standing there soaking it up. Superman a- attempts to explain to General Hardcastle that hey, uh, you're literally just feeding it and General Hardcastle uh, pays him no mind and uh, seems to think that the might of the United States military is all that matters and of course that's not all that matters. The creature absorbs this uh, th- these missiles that are supposed to be 10 times hotter than napalm. And then simply turns his back and walks away, uh, headed towards Metropolis itself at this point. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that sort of follows that beat by beat where the, the military and the people who are using the, their might to attempt to stop this creature are are not listening and end up actually making the problem worse. Uh, but of course, uh, Professor Hamilton and Superman kind of put their heads together and figure out, well, if heat is what uh, causes this creature to to be motivated and gives him his sort of food. Uh, what what if we did the opposite and sort of cooled him down? So uh, they decide that they're gonna have they're gonna lure him to this place and they're gonna dump these two chemicals to sort of give him an insta freeze uh, in order to to freeze him in place. And they do so, uh, or they're deciding that they're gonna do so. So then it's up to Superman to figure out how he's gonna lure. Uh, this creature, who is still rampaging at that time and destroying factories that have, uh, you know, let red hot lead in them, and uh, is just continuing to wreak havoc. So he's able to get Professor Hamilton to shut down the entire electrical grid. It looks like for Metropolis, and uh, and lead this creature using a uh, a, a heat vision melted beam uh, to sort of attract the the monster and uh, lead him to this, this uh, dam where they're going to trap him. Uh, but just in the last seconds and again following that sort of uh, monster movie plot just as you think that he's going to step into the trap uh, there's something that distracts him and that is that uh, just by happenstance nothing that the military did this time but the clouds sort of roll away and the moonbeams uh, begin sort of feeding this Prometheon so then that's the last sort of hiccup he also manages to uh, grab Superman at that point so he's holding Superman and Uh, and just soaking up the moonlight so superman has to think quickly and figure out something that's going to distract this beast more than the moon will
2: yeah yeah that's uh that's that's a pretty fun little sequence there's he he has this beam he keeps lighting up with his heat vision he gets the distracts the the being just enough but it grabs a hold of him and it's kind of this really tense moment where it's not in the water yet, but thankfully in the, in the melee, right as it, it stepped into the water, it caused such a wave that it freed a, uh, a, a boat that was, uh, that was just sort of sitting there tied to the shore. And uh, there happened to be, thankfully, three, three full cans of gasoline in the backseat of this boat. And Superman's able to light that up and create enough of a, uh, a light show, and explosion, enough heat to attract the monster back into the water. Where they are able to uh, just douse him and the entire river, I guess, with the, these two chemical compounds that, when combined, create uh, create ice, and that's the end. We don't we don't know what they did with the monster. We don't know if like what they if they just left it frozen in that lake forever. And there's just like once a day they bring two planes over there and drop (laughs) and just keep dropping those chemicals in it to keep the lake frozen. We don't know. That's, it just, we, we get the, we get the, it sort of slowly sinks into the the water as it's all freezing over. Uh, Again, we'll talk more about this in visuals because it is pretty spectacular, but, uh, and then we just see sort of the hands sticking out of the water. uh, Then it becomes sort of flash frozen. And then Superman kind of looks at professor Hamilton and, Then we sort of just pan up to the moon. It was not a uh, not a particularly strong ending, but uh, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of where we end on this one.
1: Yeah, it is a is a bit of a of an odd choice to end the episode there. There's no resolution as you said, this character never never comes back again, and I guess we can uh, begin to talk about our scores for plot here. I do like that it sort of follows that classic uh, monster movie trope of of the the plot. As we just said, it's very formulaic, but at the same time, a lot of these uh, there are a lot of episodes of DCAU shows that are sort of homages or direct nods to some of those classic films. So having a monster movie film. Uh, that uh, homage isn't certainly isn't a crime, and it's, uh, it's certainly the way that they did it is certainly interesting. We talked about it. It is a very visually heavy uh, episode, uh, so a lot of it relies on those visuals. The plot itself isn't very uh, nuanced, as you said. There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of, of tension other than the you know, is Superman going to get frozen by this thing? And is the military going to screw it up enough where they're, you know, he's going to destroy the city, but at no point does it feel like, you know, Lois and Jimmy are not in any sort of danger. No one we know of is in real, real danger because the Promethean never really makes it to the city. He's sort of on the outskirts of the city and what I guess is like a factory district or something like that. So there's not really a lot of, you know, is there going to be a, you know is there going to be some, uh, uh, high stakes here it's not a lot of high stakes it's not it's not really a lot of uh, you know potential consequences that we're afraid of so it moves very quickly also and i think having a 22 minute episode to do that not that this deserved a two parter but it could have maybe allowed the plot to breathe a little bit maybe <laughs> Maybe you, you, you know, you have some of that nuanced stuff in there. You have Superman struggling with figuring out how they're, how they're going to do that, how they're going to stop this beast. Something. I think, I think 22 minutes to tell this story was a little bit too short. And maybe, well, maybe this is a story that would have been better for a comic book. I, I don't know something something a little bit different than what we ended up getting. Um, the ending is very bizarre, not having any sort of resolution. There's no no General Hardcastle forced to you know to to admit that Superman isn't isn't a bad person or has to kiss up to him. There's no real difference between the characters from the beginning to the end of this episode. It's really a very self-contained episode so for all of those reasons i ended up giving plot a six out of ten what about you
2: yeah i'm just a notch lower i went five out of ten um i, I think it's it's a fine breezy 22 minute episode uh but as far as a a story yeah it's there's not even really the only thing resembling a, a b plot to the episode is the stuff with hardcastle and it's basically Confined to these two scenes that we talked about—the first scene in the spaceship, and then later on when they're bombing the thing—and Superman kind of tries to get him to stop. But yeah, there's no, no no comeuppance for him where you know one of his superiors shows up and and you know gives him a dressing down for not listening to Superman or something or or you know yeah. So it's 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 very kind of one note. Like we said, it's just it's a lot of Superman going from action set piece to action set piece and and sort of doing problems. Solving with whatever the the giant monster is uh, uh, has been doing in, in that area. So, again, not without its fun, and we'll certainly talk about uh, more about that uh, the fun stuff in in visuals in a second here. But yeah, overall, uh, pretty pretty flat uh, overall. I thought. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: All right, let's move on then to our animation and visuals here. And uh, this week, I believe uh, we have another director here who, who probably may have only directed this episode. I don't know if there were any other episodes listed uh, to his name or not, uh, but uh, we do have some interesting visuals here. As we said, uh, not a lot going on with plot and certainly not a lot going on with voice acting because there's not a lot of dialogue so music and visuals really had to uh sort of carry the episode here um i will say that uh the first thing that i had written down here is that the Promethean itself boy is oh boy is that a jack kirby design uh <laughs> or or an homage to pretty much every jack kirby design ever right yeah and as you alluded to
2: these this is at least loosely based on these these characters from the the New God uh Jack Kirby comics called the the Promethean Giants and if you if you just google that the first image you'll see is a big giant rock monster uh in metal shackles strapped to an asteroid so you can see where a lot of the the uh the visual uh uh, uh motif sort of came from for this episode but yeah, I th- I think that the design itself is it, yeah, it, it is pretty basic, it, you know, looks it's just this big hulking brown monster. Um and I, there's nothing wrong with that design. Um, and I don't and again, I think because they sort of throw in that dialogue about how it doesn't have much intelligence, it's just sort of looking, it's just sort of going from power source to power source. You don't really need it to have that uh expressive of a face necessarily, certainly it has like you said the the big Kirby jaw and, and sort of, uh, yeah, looked like it could, it could be uh, if you recolored it, it could be a, a, a nude Ben Grimm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think there is some, some fun stuff throughout the episode. We'll get to the kind of the big action moments here, but just that little bit of uh, when Superman is has the steel beam and he's lighting it with his heat vision and, you know, the, the whole city has been blacked out to sort of try to keep the, the, creature from going it going further towards civilization and then we just see this sort of bright red light go past and there is like this little flash of expression on the creature's face for almost the first time in the episode as he sort of begins to reach out and chase it almost almost sort of like this childlike awe on his face when he when he sees when it's sort of all gone dark and then this one bright light sort of catches his attention so Despite it being sort of this unthinking, unfeeling creature, there are some some moments where they do do some some fun uh, sort of expressive moments with
1: it. Absolutely, and it's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah, this is uh, those Promethean giants were uh, part of uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World, and there was uh, there, I believe I read in storyline that they were actually uh, banished to the fourth or to the source wall at some point uh so i i don't remember off the top of my head but it'll be interesting we know that uh in one of the very final episodes uh of of the dcau uh there is an interaction with the source wall so we'll have to take a look and see if we can find a promethean in the uh in the source wall uh when we get there but uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I think visually, I I think striking uh, the very first thing sort of is that rotation that happens as Superman discovers the, uh, the, the giant tied to this asteroid and it sort of pans around the asteroid itself and sort of zooms out and you kind of get the idea of just how large and hulking this creature is Mm -hmm. Uh, right off the bat, just a really cool visual seeing it sort of Uh, embedded in this giant asteroid with these on its wrists, uh, a kind of a striking image there, and it really does. Uh, there's actually an issue of Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing number 62, uh, that uh, has a cover that's exactly uh, that image exactly. So uh, Google that if you're interested in checking out uh, checking out that maybe where that uh, image dr- draws its uh, its source material from. But uh, as the creature itself begins falling to Earth after it's entered into the uh, into the Earth's orbit and uh begins to burn up i thought that was i thought that was great we haven't really talked about superman's spacesuit very often but uh you know since we talked about it last week with deep dive superman we might as well talk about neutron star superman also which is uh <laughs> which is the name of the action figure that kenner gave uh you can throw that in your google machine if you want to and check out the uh check out the images of neutron star superman you may have had that action figure going out that was one that i had i think i got it probably for my birthday in 1998 or something like that my 10th probably my 10th or 11th birthday i remember getting that uh, it was one of my prized possessions uh <laughs> such a great great uh figure very faithful to the uh to the look of the series weirdly just the chest plate of the figure came off though so like the he would still have half the helmet on and you just see a suit underneath <laughs> of it yeah
2: kind of a kind of a strange choice but uh yeah it's 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 cool i i like i like seeing that design again it's it's simple um but it's, uh, but I, yeah, I, I like that design. And it was always kind of cool to have something because they do all these outlandish toys. So it was kind of fun as a kid to have one that actually represented something you'd seen in the show a few times. But yeah, it's fun. That, that whole sequence where the the, the the monster starts falling to earth and it's sort of burning up on re-entry and then he flies to sort of catch up with them and the suit sort of slowly burns uh it uh, burns off of him to reveal just the regular superman suit underneath and then there's a really some really interesting color palettes in that scene too because everything's sort of red but as superman sort of tries to grab hold of it his costume instead of being like a really bright blue or something i guess sort of mixing the red and the blue together he has like almost a purplish hue to his suit in that scene and as he sort of tries to catch up and does for a moment is he's trying to sort of nudge it so that it doesn't land in the heart of metropolis but lands in the in the water instead and and uh and and then sort of falls back into space as, as the creature keeps falling so that yeah there's some uh, some really really tremendous all, all like we said most of the episode is just him superman flying around like we said having to deal with the you know the tidal wave that it creates so he has to kind of push this yacht out of the way and then Sort of getting the, the the nuclear sub away from it while they're underwater a lot. This episode once again animated by TMS, just like last week's was, and another a lot of another a lot of fantastic animation when it comes to the water, very fluid. Uh, uh, no pun intended. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and that that final sequence there, uh, as the the chemicals are sort of combining to create the ice, uh, is is quite stunning as well.
1: Yeah, you might even uh, we might even come back to talk to with that one in, uh, in a little bit here. But I, I would agree with you. I think the whole the the tension of the scene being built of, well, we need to get him into this body of water around the dam. Is he going to step into it? Um, you know, the moon as he as the clouds roll away from the moon and he sort of just stands there with his arms spread out, sort of soaking up the heat from the moon. Um, I thought that was great. Uh, you already mentioned the, the scene with Superman sort of leading him with sort of like a candle, uh, almost like leading this monster, a Pied Piper-esque moment, leading him with this, uh, this, this steel beam lit. Uh, I, I thought also at, right after the, the military uh, has bombed him and they're attempting to run away from him, I thought it was interesting, there's a shot of uh, inside one of these tanks that's sort of uh, retreating and still continuing to fire at this creature. There's a shot where they pan inside uh, the, the actual tank itself and they kind of give you a visual of the, the Promethean's foot coming towards them. That was great. There's another shot later on where his foot comes down Uh, right on top of Superman they kind of give you Superman's perspective as the foot comes towards you Um, and even the way that the Prometheon moved I thought that that was interesting too because it really gives you this sense of of weight and how the creature is he moves in slow motion which I feel like is sort of a a a classic uh monster another classic monster movie troop where or trope where you feel like you know a creature this size should it, it should be Generally moving faster than than one would one would understand, but because of its weight and because of the way that gravity works, it takes a lot for it to rear back and sort of swing at Superman there's multiple times where it does that and sort of trips or falls, uh, whether it's under the water as he's attacking the sub or later on is. Superman is sort of swinging past him, attempting to hit him. Uh, But I love the way that the creature just sort of lumbers and moves through the scene very slowly and deliberately. Um, You know, a creature of that size would generally because it's so much weight moving forward and backward uh, it would take a little bit for it uh, to move forward. So I I love that.
2: Yeah. You definitely get that, that feeling that almost, you know, every, every step it takes could, you know, kind of cause a, cause an earthquake or a tidal wave. And they, they definitely give a good, a good feeling of, of, and I think that's, that's kind of one of the cool things about that, that sequence where they sort of shut the power off in the whole city and you sort of slowly see all the lights and the skyscrapers turn off. And then he kind of looks to the left where there's sort of factories and warehouses and those lights shut off. And even sort of the, the flames at the, at the top of the, like the smokestacks and the factories sort of, all go silent and and you you sort of do get that sense of like yeah if he actually walked into the city it would be it would be a cataclysmic event for it so yeah i think they they did a good job of establishing the the general scale and and sort of just the power that and and havoc that this thing can create just by sort of walking around much less
1: if it's actually antagonized in any way for sure. Absolutely. Um, for all those reasons, I, I think this episode is great. I think that uh, the scene, as you said, even as the creature begins to freeze and Superman is within its grasp and there's sort of a tension building, is Superman going to be able to escape? I don't know what would have happened if Superman had been frozen again. We don't know if this thing is supposed to be like permafrost where it's frozen for forever or (laughs) superman wouldn't have been able to get out but there is a little bit of tension there is he going to escape in time and he sort of uses the 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 steel beam as leverage to get out of the creature's hand um and then they sort of just pan up again to the night sky afterwards uh so I, i think there's a lot of great visuals here there's a lot of amazing uh things to really appreciate here visually i love the odes and the homages to jack kirby's drawings you and i both have a soft spot for jack kirby and his artwork so mm-hmm. uh we, we both love that so for all those reasons i gave uh visual and animation a very strong nine out of ten what about you
2: yeah i uh, i ended up giving it the exact same score a, a nine out of ten yeah it's it's wall-to-wall action, and, and we talk about that sometimes when one of, the, one of our categories is maybe lets us down a little bit, and uh, or in this case with the plot. I, I, I think the plot itself is ex- executed fine, it's just there isn't much to it, but uh, so much of this episode is a, is a visual uh, feast for the
1: eyes, and yeah, I thought they, they did a, a pretty strong job all the way around. All right, Wayne, let's move on to our next category. That is going to be music. And I believe you said music this week was done by Michael McQuistion, uh, yet again. And uh, as we said, the strongest things in this episode, I feel like, had to be uh, both the music and the animation and visuals. And for at least at me, I feel like the music really stepped up and did a whole, whole lot, maybe more than we would be used to in a, in a lot of the other episodes because of the lack of dialogue for this week.
2: Yeah, and there, there's good variety to it, I think, too, because in that first sequence, which is sort of set in space, you know, we we talked about that in some of Mr. McQuishan's other episodes uh, in Brightest Day comes to mind. Um, there's a certain like Star Trek, like a certain sense of like wonder at first when the space, when the, uh, you know, in, in the space sequence there is as we sort of see the ship floating, and we see these asteroids Superman appears and he's sort of taking it and then it gets a little bit more, uh, you know, fast paced as, as the action sort of begins. And then we had some great melding at one point of the Superman theme and this sort of overarching sort of space odyssey type music uh, as he's sort of pushing the asteroid when he, when he sort of first notices the creature. And then once the creature gets to earth, it does very much shift to this very dramatic sort of a, uh, you know, heavy, like, like s- simple, but heavy, like booming drums and bass as you, again, sort of adding to, I think, that, 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 uh, that size and scale of this monster sort of just stomping around and that's sort of there, there isn't necessarily like a hummable theme for the monster throughout the episode, but there's sort of this general refrain of, of just sort of awe and this, and, and again, sort of the, the drums almost being part of the, the sound effects of the, of the thing walking and, sort of the havoc it's creating
1: yeah drums and horns uh a plenty in this week's episode for sure and uh i think i was trying to think of a comparable episode that we've that we've reviewed thus far and i don't know that i have a one-to-one episode just because i i truly think that this might be the episode that we've reviewed so far that has had the least amount of actual dialogue there's so much of this that. Uh, They didn't they didn't give Superman a lot of quips as he's sort of battling the the monster. So a lot of the interactions between the two of them has limited dialogue. Um, Superman himself, this definitely might be the least amount of dialogue for an episode that has Superman in it, period. But uh, so, you know, the music for it to be strong enough and to have to tell that story. The only thing that I could think of that was somewhat comparable would be something like The Last Laugh. Uh, which you know early on in Batman the animated series, which had a very specific theme that ran all the way through it, and I don't think that's one to one for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a memorable, as you said, like a hummable theme that you're it's going to get stuck in your head like the last laugh did. However, it does have a lot of of heavy lifting to do to pick up in in some of these scenes where there it's just action on the screen. So it needs to tell you that hey, this is a this is an impending doom for Superman, or or look at you know this is a legitimate threat for superman and the army i you know i think that scene where they're launching the missiles at the creature and then the the music just sort of stops and then begins to pick up again you know once uh once once he opens his eyes after he's sort of taken in all of these missiles that have attacked him and then he begins moving again it just sort of it sets the tension. It's like, all right, did this work? Did, you know, it, was Emil Hamilton wrong? And then it's like, nope, he wasn't. The creature, you know, and that felt very cinematic. And again, it felt into that theme of the monster movie where, oh, they they bring in this giant weapon that they think is going to defeat it. And there's sort of this lull where you don't hear anything. And then the monster emerges from the, you mm-hmm. know, from the smoke stronger and just just even more pissed off. So, um, you know, I feel like the music did such a great job for this week's episode, uh, Mr. McQuish. Christian did such an excellent job in, in coming up with a theme that it feels very cinematic and it does its job. I love, like you said, it, it creates um, some more depth for this character that we don't know a whole lot about. It creates that heaviness and that gravity to the character itself um, as he's sort of moving throughout these scenes or whether he's attacking the sub or you know, even in the scene where he's I love how when the lights go off in the city and he looks over to it, there's just sort of this high pitched, like one note of sort of, you know, whether it I'm not sure if it's flute or something, but it's just very slow as Superman sort of leads this creature. Again, a very Pied Piper esque type thing as he's leading this creature away from the city. And then it, you know, the music swells again once the moon comes out, and you think the plot has been foiled, and you know their whole trap isn't going to work. Uh, so I, I, think the music does a lot of heavy lifting in this episode, and I think it stood, I think it stood up to the test.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And like I said, I, I just think the the variety again is what I what, I, what really struck me is again, we get sort of uh, more sort of a lot of like flute and other sort of lighter horns and strings in, in that opening sort of space sequence. And then it totally shifts to almost like a different genre, which kind of makes sense because I think we go from like this sort of space exploration, Star Trek motif in the first few minutes into a a monster movie as we've been talking about there. And and the music, again, I just, the, the, especially the, the percussion and, and, uh, and as you said, the horns are sort of just really adding to that sense of danger and, and, uh, and, and fear as, as the monster just keeps on coming, no matter what they, they seem to throw at it. It's a, it's a really, really well done. And uh, for all those reasons, I, I gave music actually a perfect 10 out of 10. Wow,
1: I love that. Uh, I gave it just a tick lower. I gave it a nine out of 10. The only thing I took off for maybe, you know, having having a little bit more of the Shirley Walker Superman theme or something that I could have grasped onto that that felt a little bit more at home or maybe having that reoccurring theme throughout that was sort of hummable like a la the last laugh. Maybe I could have would have bumped it up. But either way, both of us gave this a high score for a a a score that was asked to do a lot for this episode.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like I said, it's just a really unique sort of uh, soundtrack for an episode and one that really enhanced and as, as we've sort of talked about, picked up the slack where maybe the uh, the plot and the uh, the voice acting. while again, I don't think either one is necessarily bad. We'll get to voice acting in just a second, but they didn't have a ton to do. So just a very uh, a maybe maybe to date the most heavily reliant on the visuals and music of any episode we've reviewed.
1: That's right. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category. Well, our final category, and as we've alluded to for nearly the entire episode, uh, not a uh, a lot of dialogue, which means not a huge cast here either. Uh, we do have uh, some of our normal uh, regular cast uh, with a few lines here or there. Uh, we have, of course, uh, a couple of our mainstays who do a lot of the heavy lifting. And then uh, we do have a few minor roles played by some recognizable voices voices uh that we've mentioned at least once or tw- twice before on the dcau review but hey let's talk about this week's voice cast shall we
2: that's right so in some sort of rapid fire minor roles we have uh we have frank welcher sort of p- providing the uh uh the grunts and groans of of the creature of course folks would know as the voice of uh, scooby-doo as as well as uh doing voices in transformers and uh more recent uh, some of the Uh, Mortal Kombat games and and things like that so uh, a lot of uh, voice acting uh, credits to his name but fun to see his name pop up uh, especially again because the the creature has no lines but uh, he does does a a nice job there but yeah some of the other recognizable names and sort of background uh, voices we hear Jennifer Hale who of course voices Giganta and Killer Frost later on in Justice League uh, just playing some of the minor background roles of a uh, scientist at Star Labs, and uh, I think one of the women on the yacht. And then uh, we have Townsend Coleman, who uh, we always talk about. You would probably know him best as the as the voiceover guy for uh, network television in the '90s. But uh, plenty of classic also the Tick, of course, of course, uh, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> most famously in, in our household, uh, the, the voice of the Tick in the uh, the animated series. So. Uh, fun to see him again, minor role, just playing like a sea captain on on the sub that uh, the creature attacks. But then, yeah, we have uh, just literally for one scene, we we briefly have Dana Delaney and, uh, as Lois and, and David Kaufman as Jimmy. Uh, they get they get one kind of like quirky joke and then we we move on. And then, yeah, the, the rest of the cast there, we have Victor Brandt as Professor Hamilton, who is, again, mostly there to do exposition. He's fine.
1: Yeah, he um, does okay this week. I think, I think uh, you know, hashtag my my Professor Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> he's he's he does what he's supposed to do I feel like he, his concern and I think his interaction with uh, General Hardcastle who we'll talk about in a second here I think the uh, appealing to him and his humanity almost at the beginning in that episode of the episode where Hardcastle is just uh, is just hard and set on blowing this thing up regardless of whether it's a living being or not and uh, Professor Hamilton sort tries to appeal to his humanity and, and Hardcastle is not budging and Inch, and sort of Emil Hamilton's just uh, utter utter disdain and, and being flabbergasted over his his lack of care. I think is is probably the best part of the episode, but the or best part of his acting in the episode. Uh, the rest of it is just sort of as you mentioned exposition and figuring out what the uh, telling Superman, re- regaling Superman of the story that he learned from the code that was being uh, dispersed from the actual creature itself.
2: Yeah, and uh, aside from that, we do have uh, again, the the other thing closer to a sort of a secondary antagonist that we have is Charles Napier once again playing uh, General Hardcastle. Uh, Folks might know from Silence of the Lambs. Also he was in uh, one of the Rambo movies and and plenty of other uh, uh, movies and and a little bit of voice acting to his credit as well. Uh, Yeah, he's a good like arrogant, as you said monster movie uh, overzealous uh war war general who thinks the answer to everything is bombing it. That's, that's
1: he's a great like, military man. That oh is. yeah. I love it.
2: Oh yeah. You know, any he, and he's and again you and I think that's that's and that's not on, on the fault of the actors, neither neither Mr. Napier or uh, or Tim Daly is Superman, of course. But yeah, you wish there was either a more direct confrontation where Superman sort of has to get in the way of of the military uh continuing their assault or just something sort of more more directly as it stands, you know, he sort of tells Superman off. They, they launched this sort of special napalm attack and, and the creature just absorbs it. And then Superman kind of gets a, a, a quip in on him as he, as he flies away. But like we said, there's not really a, a payoff to that subplot where either the general has to kind of eat, eat some crow or, or is sort of dressed down by a superior officer who's, you know, yelling at him for not not taking Superman more seriously, or or even even like a, another scene of Hardcastle and Hamilton, to sort of bookend because that's sort of how the episode starts is uh, is Hamilton and Hardcastle arguing over whether or not they need Superman for this mission. So uh, yeah, and again, not not the fault of any of the actors. I think they do a solid job, but because this episode is so visually and, uh, and to a lesser extent, musically heavy, and there's, there's so kind of thin of a plot. I don't, I don't necessarily know that any of the, of our, our actors here are used to their full potential.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think you're onto something there. I think even, you know a last minute uh instead of just panning up towards this the moon having an <laughs> interaction between hardcastle and and hamilton where hamilton you know says you know are will you admit that superman's not all that bad now and maybe hardcastle doubling down and and mm-hmm. saying well i told you he had to be a grandstander or something like that and doubling down on his opinion that would have benefited or or you know could could definitely have been useful at some point just reiterating this guy's you know a hard-headed moron or you know having him maybe subtly admit while superman isn't there but superman can hear from a distance or something like that him admitting that well i guess it was good to have the alien here for something or you know something like that would have been you know, again, and that's plot. That's not that's not necessarily uh, the, right. the actors, but you know, not having sort of uh, a a sort of resolution to that those first couple scenes of tension between him and Superman. Uh, although I guess technically we do get a little bit later on in the series, but it's just not. It just it's great. His 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 it's great. His performance is great. Him not having sort of a a, a bookend to the story for this episode is not great. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, that's nobody. Again, it's not the fault of the actors, but overall, I kind of settled on a a five out of ten for for voice acting. I don't think anybody does a bad job, but they they just don't have much to do. So uh, just kind of middle of the road, right there with a five. Uh,
1: I don't think it's worth a disagreement alarm, but I went just two points higher on this one. I went seven out of ten. I think I think uh, Mr. Napier does a great job. I do love his performance as General Hardcastle. Obviously, as we mentioned, he does come back in a couple episodes. So we know that, uh, you know, some of his, his work here is, is sort of played upon later on in his general distrust of Superman. Uh, so, uh, you know, so I, I I do appreciate that. I thought that for what Tim Daly had to do in this episode, there is some, some concern in his voice and whether or not he's actually going to be able to stop, uh, stop the Promethean in, in his conversation with, with professor Hamilton, but there's not a lot that has to be done here. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't fault you for a five out of 10. I just went a little bit higher with the seven. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to, Oh, That, my friend, is is a sound we've heard for a few weeks. That is the sound, of course, of a bonus point. Uh, So I, this week, have a bonus point that I would like to give. And it's interesting because... With all the Jack Kirby talk we have here, and uh, of course uh, Jack Kirby is well known for his work uh, not only in the DC universe, but also his work in uh, in uh, another universe. I guess you could say that, of course, being the Marvel universe. But uh, I think there was a uh, there was a bit of an homage here at the end of this uh, at the end of this episode that I did not see pointed out anywhere, at least not on the DCAU wiki which is my source for, uh, some f- interesting factoids. Uh, but I believe if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's interesting, Liam, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that the Promethean himself maybe gives you some Ben Grimm vibes. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I mean, mostly just cause it's a big rock guy, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 But, uh, so I actually ended up getting some vibes and this wasn't, uh, this wasn't Mr. Kirby's artwork. It was just more of that, more of that Fantastic Four vibe. But the final scene as the rock creature is being frozen and his hand sticks up, sort of grasping onto Superman and is frozen in that position gave me huge vibes. And I think judging based on knowing how big of a a, uh, fan of the Fantastic Four that one Bruce W. Tim is could have possibly been an homage to the Fantastic Four number one cover. And if you if you pull that up in your Google machine, it's a very famous image of uh, the Mole Man's giant mole coming out of the ground. And he has uh, this creature has his hand up and a uh, one of the Fantastic Four in his grasp and uh, is trying to break free. And I I don't think it's an accident that the creature was frozen in that same sort of grasp with his hand coming out of the ice. Um, So to me, that that general homage there that could have been a nice little wink and a nod to the, the other company that Mr. Kirby worked for, that being, of course, Marvel Comics. Uh, always appreciate some of those those visual uh, nods uh, to those those uh, covers, or or or, or uh, you know, in, in some cases we've seen uh, homages to certain comic book panels uh, in the past. So that one gave me all kinds of Fantastic Four number one vibes. Uh, so I had to give it an extra point for that one.
2: Love it. Yeah, I, I would not have pulled that out, but the more you, uh, the, the way you explained it there. I, and I went ahead and put, pulled it up on my Google machine. And yeah, I, I totally see then based, as we said, this is sort of loosely based, it appears on a, on other Kirby characters. So to throw in that extra little bit of homage, whether intentional or not, it it, it definitely fits, uh, one of the, as we talked about many, many, uh, Kirby tributes that we see throughout this, uh, these various series. So, yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, that interpretation. And yeah, maybe, maybe that was, I, I maybe we'll try to reach out to some of the uh, the creators on, on, online this week, if we can get an answer, but yeah, that's, that's a really cool uh, re- really cool little wrinkle that I don't think I would have picked up on otherwise.
1: And he was credited. Uh, he being Jack Kirby was credited as the penciler on fantastic four. Number one, there's no uh, pulling up Marvel's website. There's no credited artist for the cover of a uh, fantastic four number one which was published on november 1st 1961 but jack kirby was the penciler on that comic itself so uh maybe another uh another slight connection there no, more more evidence uh your honor that i present that maybe <laughs> bit a, uh bit of a nod to the mole man there so uh yeah loved that felt that was worth a, an extra point there so All right, Liam. Uh, Well, that will get us to our final scores for this week's episode. So totaling everything up uh, that I have here, uh, including the bonus point, uh, I come up with a very solid 32 out of 40. What about you?
2: Yeah, I'm just a couple points lower at a 29 out of 40.
1: All right. Well, Lamb, that leads us to talking about rewatchability. Um, I feel like this one should, would probably be short and sweet, if not for maybe General Hardcastle's appearances later on. So we know that he does come back. This does sort of set the table for his uh, tension and his general distaste for the Man of Steel, which we know comes into play, as we already said later on. is a huge linchpin, sort of retroactively, but is does ultimately become a linchpin in that Fearful Symmetry episode, uh leading to the creation of one Galatea which is a huge plot point of the whole Cadmus arc. So what say you when it comes to rewatchability here? Maybe episode-wise because there's no Promethean follow-up. Heck, they don't even call this thing the Promethean in in the episode. So we don't even get a name check for this thing. Uh we only get the monster, or the you know, the creature uh as it's called. So uh what say you? We know that uh doesn't doesn't have a lot uh to do with uh, the rest of this series certainly the dcau but does give us an introduction to that general hardcastle character
2: yeah i think i think that's that's the best argument for it i you know as we said because this episode is so self-contained it doesn't even really have any uh, immediate uh follow-up as far as what even happens after they they freeze the monster at the end there um i yeah i would lean towards no but at the same time that general hardcastle character comes back again in the in the series finale legacy which we've already covered in our archives which you can check out at dcaureview.com um but there yeah like i think this character does end up playing a pretty important part and i i could give this the the usually it's the reverse usually it's i give it the one thumb up when it's just a good episode but doesn't have anything to do with it this week i feel like it's the one thumb up because even though it's just maybe a a a decent episode or you know simple and fun i i enjoyed watching it but at the same time wouldn't necessarily be consequential but it does introduce this pretty consequential character because you know he, he has appearances and in you know really that that legacy episode is the the basis of the of the cadmus arc and then he's in sort of the first episode of of jlu that kicks that cadmus arc off as well so it's it's hard to say that he's not an important enough character to give this a full skip so yeah i think this gets one thumb up on the side of uh, of introducing this this character here in uh, in general hardcastle
1: Yeah, I think if you're looking for episodes that are tied into uh, maybe the long game, if you want to if you want to put a sports metaphor to it, but, you know, if you're looking for episodes that are consequential and that come into play later on throughout and certainly, you know, there's not a lot of plot points Uh, throughout that eventually come into play later on. There's very few, like the ones that do are very meaningful. Uh, So to have a character here that's introduced, Legacy obviously is the real sort of lead in, as you mentioned, to that Cadmus arc and everything like that. So uh, really kind of gives you some background only for Legacy. So maybe as a, you know, as a 22 minute uh, introduction before you go to watch Legacy, if you're trying trying to kick things off with a Cadmus arc, OK, I, I see that. I think you're right. And uh, and it's it's an easy watch. You know, it's fun. It's Superman versus a giant monster, as we talked about last week. Um, you know, if you miss it, you know, are you kind of going to be able to put things together when you have General Hardcastle, uh, you know, appear in Legacy? Yeah, you'll be able to put it together and figure it out. <laughs> but I think it's fun that they introduced this character here and it becomes such a such an important, pivotal part of the of the the biggest perhaps longest uh reaching storyline throughout the dcau so uh yeah big big fan of that so I, i agree with you i think one thumb up for the for the uh rewatchability for this one and importance is uh is a is a fair grade agreed all right, William. Well, that will begin to wrap us up for this week. Thank you, everybody, for checking out this week's episode. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a five-star review if you're feeling generous. That helps us out a lot. If you leave a, uh, a little blurb, too, we've had a lot of those uh, in the last few months. So appreciate those people that have taken the time to do so. Uh, but if you are interested in uh, leaving a little, little blurb, letting people know uh, what it is that you appreciate about the show show we would very much appreciate that and that's one way to support us another way to support us is to go over to youtube and subscribe to the pod tower that's right we are on the youtube channel uh there along with uh the boys from tim talk and the uh the people over there over at uh, at uh, Watchtower database as well. Uh so uh, join them and the Tim Talk and us uh for all of our content all in one place. Subscribe to us there if you will. Uh that would out is another way to support us. And the last way to support us, if you want to uh, throw a couple of dollars our way, is to head over to our store, check out at dcaureview.com, click on the shop tab. And you can pick yourself up a shirt, hat, a a sticker, maybe uh, some cool stuff over there. Liam, we've got lots of content dropping this week. We've uh, we've been talking about Batman. The adventures continue. We've been talking Justice League Infinity. Uh, Lots of stuff happening on the uh, the podcast feed. Uh, So make sure uh, you're subscribed to that. But uh, we can go ahead and talk about next week's. Uh, episode here as we continue in our standard dca episodes as we continue with our month of superman reviews
2: that's right yeah quite a bit of uh, extra material this week with uh, both those comics dropping but for our regular episode next saturday we will be coming back and we were reviewing another returning villain this time it'll be the return of metallo in the episode action
1: figures yeah, we've talked a lot about action figures this month already, with uh, Deep Dive Superman making two appearances, Neutron Star Superman making an appearance. Uh, it's a shame they never did an anti a true anti-kryptonite Superman figure, but uh, maybe we can talk about that that terrible incarnation that they did of his <laughs> in the Kenner line next week, too. Looking forward to it. There we go. All right, but until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the next episode of the DCA Review. Bye bye